believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. So as we come to chapter 10, Moses reviewed how Israel was unfaithful, the nation, when they worshiped the golden calf there at Mount Sinai, and he broke the original set of the Ten Commandments. God gave him a second set of the Ten Commandments, and he wrapped that up. And in verse 12, we get an interesting phrase that really sets up a little cluster of scriptures. There's so much there, but we're going to look at some macro thoughts, and some of it's consistent or, I don't want to say repetitive, but in verse 12... Moses is speaking through the Holy Spirit guiding him. He says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commend you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is to this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast. Take oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. And of course, our context is the nation of Israel. It's their covenant. They're in a covenant relationship with God. We know God made this covenant known as the Mosaic Covenant, but the previous covenant was the Abrahamic Covenant. And in that Abrahamic Covenant that God made to Abraham 400 years before this, that from him, his descendants would come this nation. And God did exactly what he said he would do. So after Abraham passed away, and then there was Isaac, the son of promise, and then Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons. Well, the 12 sons through Joseph, we know the story from Genesis, most of us, that they ended up there in Egypt. And so when the book of Genesis ends, there's 70 of them there in Egypt. Now, you come forward 400 years from that time, and their nation, their slaves in Egypt, and God delivers them, which, of course, is what the book of Exodus is all about. And they're a multitude. They're probably at least one, one and a half million people, because the men over 20 that were counted in the census were 600,000. So that's the men over 20. That doesn't include the women, the children, and so on and so forth. So God has kept his word. He kept his promises. And so that last little exhortation in verse 22 is God has multiplied you exactly like he said he would. And it kind of, so it's bookended with verse 12 saying, what does the Lord require of you? Because this is what the Lord has done for you. And and it's just sort of this panoramic 
macro statements within all this. But that phrase, what does the Lord your God require of you, should jump out at us tonight. And again, the context was the nation of Israel and their covenant, where they had the moral law as an individual. They had the civil law for how they treated their neighbors and got along with, amongst themselves and the surrounding nations. And then they had the religious law with how they showed their expressions of faith and worship toward God as he prescribed it with the Levitical priesthood, the feast like Passover and Pentecost and those things. And so they're going to go in. As we think about this now coming forward to the church as we're gathered here tonight, May 1st, 2021, well, we're the new covenant. We know that we're the fullness. And again, these are shadows of things to come, but the fullness is Christ coming. Everything up to the time that Christ came points to Christ coming. So as we look at this, we're, lo- we're looking back. It's sort of like, I got to use a pro surfing analogy, but a couple weeks ago, they had a pro surf contest at Narrabeen in Australia. And in 1980, I competed on the world tour at Narrabeen. It was the richest contest in the world at that time. It was a surf about. And I had one of the best heats of my career. It was a tie with Sean Thompson, the world champion. We did a surf off and I lost. And I deserved to lose, but it was one of the best heats I ever had when I lost to Sean Thompson. And I had the old American flag on my wetsuit. And that's when the Australians dominated pro surfing. It was just a, a different time. But it, it was, you know, it's the highest level of the sport. And there was thousands of people there. So a couple weeks ago, by random chance through COVID, the pro tours in Narrabeen this year for the first time in decades. And of course, now you can, you don't really have TV anymore, right? You stream everything. So we're streaming the World Surf Tour and we're watching Narrabeen. And there's Gabriel Medina like doing like this full spin in the air, like eight feet above the wave. And I thought, man, what a difference 40 years make. Because we're just like doing barrels and cutbacks. And here's Gabriel Medina doing these like acrobatic full spins in there. And I thought, well, you know, it looks like time passed me by. <laughs> and that's what happens. Because my surfing in the 80s at Narrabeen looks like black and white TV, like an I Love Lucy rerun. <laughs> and Gabriel Medina is like live streaming, streaming like something of a whole nother, whole nother thing in surfing. And that's what we have when we come here. When we look at this, this is not Joey at Narrabeen, but it's not black and white TV either, but it's the way it was for them. So it's important tonight as we look at this text, what it means for us as the church. What is our application? Because when God says to Israel through Moses, what does the Lord require of you? We need to say, okay, since all scripture is profitable and given by God and God breathed, then we need to look at this as believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, and say, okay, what does the Lord require of us? And how do we see Jesus in this? And how do we see the application for the church in general through every generation, the church here, worship generation, and our relationship with the body of Christ worldwide and the people around us in our country and in other countries? And you can see by reading the text, you don't need a degree in rocket science to understand the basic applications that God is saying here, they're still fully applicable for the body of Christ and who we are. And it's also the legacy of what the church does wherever we go to glorify Christ and bring Christ to people's lives. So the first thing, now, what does the Lord God require of you? People think that, like, what does God want of me? Well, in this context, we know as a whole, we need to be saved by faith. They were saved by faith. Looking ahead, we're saved by faith, looking back to Christ on the cross and what he did. So when a person responds by faith, with faith in Jesus, to the gospel message and receives Christ, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple of the Lord right now. And we know, we've already seen this, that when Jesus was asked about the law of God here, summarized, he said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is pretty much what we just read. And the second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself, which pretty much we just read right here. The first thing is, 
summary of these statements, and I'll, I'll read them to you, and I put them together as one thing. It says, so what does the Lord require of you? To fear the Lord, that is, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus taught us to pray that way. To walk in all of his ways. Okay, that's to obey him. To love him. To love the Lord. Okay, we've been talking a lot about that. We love him because he first loved us. By this we know love that Christ died for us when we were yet sinners and enemies of God. To serve the Lord your God. Okay, so to fear, to walk, to love, to serve. With all your heart and with all your soul. Now that's an interesting distinction, of course, the heart and soul. Because when your heart's broken, you feel it in your heart, not your head. But your soul is kind of who you are overall. Like, you know, we're, we're spirit, mind, and body. So it's always kind of tricky when you try and find a distinction between like the, the heart and the soul. Because our heart is our heart. And we, we're saved in our heart. We believe in our heart. We're not, we don't have intellectual conversions. We have faith in our heart that we believe the gospel. And we're told since the Lord abides within us, if the spirit comes within us, like literally it comes in us. And when God speaks to you, he speaks to your heart. Like he's like, you can feel grieved in your heart. Like when you're grieving the spirit, you feel the grief in your heart. When you hear something that's very grievous, you feel it in your heart, not in your head. But yet, we are who are, we are in our intellect. Like, we are who we are. Like, we're, we're a person. We express ourselves. Like, my thoughts are being expressed to you right now as we're going over God's word. So we, we think. And so, like, yaduma you, I think. It's Russian for I think. So we think. We, you know, we have thoughts and we think. So now we're told that we're going to love the Lord. What does the Lord require of us? That we, you know, we fear him, we walk with him, we obey him, we do these things, we serve him, we love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul. So whatever the dividing distinction line is between heart and soul is, the one thing we can certainly know for sure is the word all. That's the word that gets my attention, all. Like all, all of who we are. Not some of who we are, and we've talked about this recently. I had to text Alex Lopez in Texas last week, our, our pastor Alex, and he was down in Texas with Hector and all our good friends that are down there as well. But I watched randomly, I watched ESPN 30 for 30 on Al Davis, the Raider, you know, Raider Nation, and it was Al Davis versus NFL. It was a really, really fascinating thing. But Al Davis was always like, you know, if you know the Raiders, like, just win. Now, I'm a Charger fan, so me watching something on Al Davis is like, oh, my goodness, I'm really watching something on Al Davis. But his whole thing was just win. And there's something really got my attention because he changed NFL football. He won the lawsuits to move L.A. to Los Angeles and then back wherever. Now everyone moves around, and it's a billion-dollar industry, and Al Davis had a lot to do with it. But they're interviewing Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys, and he said something very interesting about Al Davis. He said, I learned from Al Davis one thing is super important. You need to bring the juice. That's it. Because, you know, being a former Olympic coach, I'm like, oh, bring the juice. I never had that one. That's a good one. If I was coaching the Olympics in a few months, which I'm not, of course, but if I was, I would say to Chris and Moore, hey, girl, bring the juice. You know, I look at John John and go like, hey, John John, hey, bring the juice. I like that phrase. I really like that phrase. But I don't coach the Olympics, but I do pastor the church. And I do prophetically speak to the body of Christ. So let me say tonight... In layman's terms, when we come to Jesus, what does the Lord require of us? Bring the juice. Bring the juice. Don't wake up all callous and indifferent to the things of the glory of God, the things he's done for us, the cross, the resurrection, empty tomb. Look at the cross and bring the juice. Look at the empty tomb and bring the juice. Read about the day of Pentecost and see tongues of fire and bring the juice. When we serve others, don't look around the room for someone else to do it. Get on our knees like Jesus did with the apostles and bring the juice. Bring the A game. 
That's what it means. Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And I would that you were hot or cold. And we understand that the Lord puts a huge premium on passion and zeal. There in the Old Testament, we read about this with Phineas. When the Lord made a very unique covenant with Phineas, why did he make that covenant with Phineas? Because he was zealous for the Lord. He had zeal for the Lord. He was willing to do something very difficult that no one else was willing to do. And he did it and he stopped the plague of the Lord. So what does the Lord require of us? Well, yeah, we walk before the Lord. We fear the Lord. We love the Lord and all these things with our heart, with our heart and our, and our soul, but with all of our heart and soul. So we're reminded here on this first thing, we need to be all in. You can't follow Jesus and be kind of in. Jesus says, if you come after me, pick up your cross daily and follow me. That's, there's no half in. It's kind of like high school football. Football's a violent sport, of course. So we've already used football, so we'll use it again. And I was a chaplain for many years with Calvary Chapel football. And, and uh, you just can't, you know, you can't just play football for like for fun. You can do the tennis team or the golf team. Baseball can have collisions. You can get hurt. And basketball, yeah. But I mean, football's violent. It's violent. You cannot play high school football half-hearted. And some people play high school football and they want to have the jersey on and the number and be on the sidelines, but they don't really want in the game. And you can kind of tell that, like you just kind of like, oh, well, like this, you know? And you usually weed all that out at freshman level, by the way. You usually weed out the football players. They're like, oh, I'm going to tell, uh, and then when you really get, you get knocked on your keister and you lose your winner, it's like, I'm not sure I want to play football again. I figured out in two days when I tried out for football. Bill Yelling pretty much knocked me out on shoulder pad to shoulder pad. I was like, I'm done with this. This is not for me, okay? You could never do it half-hearted. And you could see being a chaplain, and particularly a couple of years, Calvary had a team that never won games. They had a, a couple winless seasons. And, man, it was hard. And you just, you just couldn't do it if you didn't really love to play football. Because on a losing team, with a losing record, if you really want to play football, you'll play hard and you'll play all in, and it'll show. But if you don't want to get out there, you don't want to get out there. And you just can't do it half-heartedly. You cannot play high. The whole process of preparing a football team in the springtime and then in August, if you don't know high school football, is to weed out who really wants to play football and who doesn't. And you know, the whole purpose of trials and tribulations with the kingdom of God is to weed out who's really in and who's not. We're going to find out who's got the juice when you get lit up by the dark side. We'll find out how much juice you have to get back in there. My son, Luke, loved football. Of course, you all know Luke is super passionate about everything he does. He never does anything half-hearted. Here's a high school football game. Jeremy and I were up in the booth doing the PA system. He was returning to kickoffs. The only time I've seen him laid out. He got hit so hard, that ball elevated like 40 yards. He fumbled the ball like 40 yards in there, and it landed midfield. <laughs> it was the craziest thing ever, and he was on his back. They brought him to the sidelines. I go, Luke, you okay? He's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because he loved football. He was right back out there. Actually scored a couple. That was against Bolsa Grande. He scored a couple touchdowns in that game. He was good. You know, how many, how many fingers I'm holding up? You know, that kind of thing. But he really wanted to play. See, life has a weeding out process. There's bosses that will try and weed you out to see whether or not you're really going to do the job, right? We know that. You got to have the juice. We got to be all in. And there's nothing about Jesus Christ, again, the cross, the empty tomb, the day of Pentecost, the promises of God. There's nothing here that's soft or weak. Now, we're compassionate. We're going to get to that and empathetic. But there's nothing about 
serving the Lord and being a follower of Christ that is half-hearted. Again, Jesus never said, come follow me and I'll make you a churchgoer. He said, follow me and be my disciple. And we just quoted this last week where it says in John, when he said, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you can't be my disciple. And I was like, but now that's like, that's really weird for us. So, and many would through because the saying was what? Hard. See, when you're all in with, when you, what does the Lord require of us? That we love him with the, all of our heart and soul. And that means we're in it. We get laid out, we're back in the game. Or we're thinking about the game. In fact, the year, the, that same year, Luke did get concussed. And the game, he scored four touchdowns with Laguna, he was concussioned. And the next game, the next week, was the biggest game in Calvary's history in 20 years. They had a chance to win the league against Costa Mesa, and Luke couldn't play because he was concussed. I'll tell you what he did. He was on the sidelines praying with and encouraging every one of his teammates. He found a way to be in the game when he wasn't in the game. Bring the juice. Just because that didn't work out that way doesn't mean we give up with the Lord. Just because he didn't open this door doesn't mean we just walk away from every door. All, all, all of our heart and soul So it's a good reminder as we begin the second third of 2021 on May 1st. It's a good reminder that it's all. What does the Lord require of us? All. He's weeding out what doesn't really want to be in his church. He's weeding out the people that can't take a hit for the team. He's weeding out the people that can't handle being heckled or rejected on a road game. He's weeding them out. And we don't want to be weeded out. We want to gut it out so we can be a part of the greatness of what God has in the future for his church. It's a weeding out process. That's really what, what goes on. You think of all the people that follow Jesus, in the end, there's 11 in the upper room, and the one that left has betrayed him. And it's been well said, the closer you get to the cross, the less followers there are for Jesus. 5,000 to feed him? Sure, Great. Coming to the garden, 12. Coming right by him with drops of blood in his prayer, three. At the cross, how many disciples were at the cross with Jesus? One. One. So let's make sure we're the one. Let's go high ratio per capita in WG. All of our heart, all of our soul with Jesus. That's what the Lord requires of us. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian from Germany, said, when Jesus bids a man to come, he bids him to come and die to ourselves. I thought ministry would be kind of fun at first when I went on staff at Vista. Like, oh, this cool, sir, people do all these things. No, people attack you. People crucify you. It's a pretty unpleasant experience to be crucified by people you're trying to serve. But that's what they do. And it took a while for me to realize, no, this is all about me dying to myself. And this is like a video game that's never going to end. We're just going to keep going through layers and layers and layers to be refined, humbled, broken, remolded, reshaped, that I can be a little more useful down the stretch than I was last month or last year, and I can be once and for all useful when I step into eternity. All is all. And if Laodicea is that last day's church, that's a warning to the church around the planet right now. Be ye hot or be ye cold, but do not be lukewarm. Now, the second thing that the Lord requires of us, we see, is to have a teachable spirit. Now, now, of course, it did say for your own good that we would be all in with the Lord. Is it not for your own good? But then he says, okay, so this is a strong exhortation. This is what the Lord requires. So, but it is not for your own good. But now, let's think about this. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also earth and all that's in it. 
Yeah, when we're serving the Lord, we're serving God of the universe. All of it, all the science we understand of the universe, all the science we understand of the microscopic world and the macro world. It's all there. Anything that we can understand that's incredible to how we can put a rocket around the moon or something or land a lunar module on the moon, all that we understand, it's just all part of the science of how God made the universe and how he made us in his image and his glory to even figure stuff like that out. So when we think about it, we're serving the God whose highest, uh, the heavens and the highest heavens belong to the Lord. All that's in the earth. And not only that, but in their case, the Lord loved them and he had a calling on Abraham's life and he chose them. Now, Jesus said to his followers, you did not choose me, I chose you. That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So this does remind us we have this in common with Israel. They were chosen as a national entity in a covenant with God. But the church is so much greater than that, not to take away from that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is to the Jew first, then the Gentile. Because the gospel is for all nations. And it took... 28 chapters of the New Testament, the book of Acts, to help a Jewish church realize it's an international church. And it's not about the language we speak or the color of our skin or the gender, but it's an international church where there's neither male nor female, nor social status, free nor slave, Jew nor Scythian, right? It's all there. They were one national, they had benefits by being in the nation. It's kind of like a U.S. passport or a British passport. Or an Aussie passport, or other countries that might you might feel good about your passport. You had the benefits of that. That's what they had. It's like having an American passport. I used to show off my American passport when I traveled. I couldn't help it. It's like Bob Seeger thing, you know. Born in the USA, right? proud to be an American. You know, I'd, I'd be like, I'd be in line at Heathrow. I'd be like, "What's up, USA? Who wins the most gold medals at the Olympics, huh? Huh? Who whooped you in that war a long time ago?" Right? And I had that American attitude. There's something really special about American passport. The Jews were the same way with being Jewish. John the Baptist said, don't say we have Abraham as our father. God can raise up these stones to be the descendants of Abraham. See, they made it about national pride. Their flag, and who they were. It's for the Jews, man. Yeah, we were always ruled by somebody, but look who's still here. We're the Greeks. We're the Syrians. We're the, we're the Babylonians. We're still here. I know the Romans are here too, but we've outlasted those other people, we'll outlast them. Is that the truth? Because hasn't Israel outlasted all of them? Only because God promised it. We already saw in the previous chapter, don't say we're great and better than everybody else or we're righteous. We saw that in the last chapter. You're sinners, you're wicked and you're evil, but because God loves you and he's faithful to you. So here we are as the church, and now we're we're the fullness of this because like they were chosen as a nation we're chosen as individuals. Like the Lord reveals himself to us and we respond to it. And, and God has a calling on our life. And how does one know if they're chosen? Well, did you respond? You know, when it comes to time to ask people to the prom, guys never want to ask a girl that's going to say no. You know that, right? So they put out the feelers right there like, hey, can you talk to so-and-so and see if she'd go to the prom with me? No guy wants to, no one wants to go to the prom, doesn't want to go with them, and no one wants to be rejected going to the prom. So the guy's never going to, if the guy knows on the scouting report the girl's going to say no, he's not going to ask her. You're not going to choose her to go to the prom. That's how it is. Why would God choose your neighbor who hates him to go to the prom? Why would God choose your boss who hates him to spend time in eternity with him where it's light and glorious when your boss loves the darkness and hates the light? Why would he choose him? Why would it choose you? Because you want to go to the prom with Jesus. 
Why would he choose you? Because you want to be where the angels are praising his name with the four living creatures. And that's why he chooses you. And that's why he's working in your life because you want to be on the team and you responded to him choosing you. So God chose Israel. He chose Abraham and he chose the son of promise, Isaac. He chose to bring the nation from him. And here they are now, a million people ready to go in and enter all their promises because he chose them. And here we are, the church, May 1st, 2021. And what does God want to do in our lives and through this church? Because he's chosen us. Because we said yes when he called to ask us if we'd go to the prom. We said yes when he said, well, you want to abide in the light, stand in the light, walk in the light, be in the light, where my presence is the light that's brighter than the sun. You don't need the sun. Do you want to be where the cubed city is like this, the New Jerusalem? Do you want to be where the pearly gates are? Do you want to be where the four living creatures are? And we say yes and amen, I do. That's where I want my destiny to be. And so here we are, we're his people. He's chosen us and we're on a winning team. We're on the only team that matters, the kingdom of God. And what he's chosen us to is not to be just one nation, but an expanding kingdom of all nations. And this, of course, is the Great Commission to preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples of all nations. This is the Great Commission to be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's who we are. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.